0: Folks who first looked for your coming rejoiced even before you arrived. We pray that by your Spirit at work in us, that we would have the grace to rejoice before we see your coming again. To live with anticipation, to live with prepared hearts, so that everything that we say and do honors you. And so we ask collectively, Father, that your word would accomplish that which it was sent to do, and that our hearts will be prepared by your spirit to hear for your sake and the sake of the kingdom. Amen. You may be seated.
1: her fourth grade class, it was her pride and joy. And the last day, Mrs. Meltzer decided that she really wanted to understand exactly what her students had done to celebrate her. So Mrs. Meltzer turned to her students on that first day back after Christmas break, and she looked at the and said, looked up third she started? Oh, this is not where said, he did it. Well, you know, why I did it. So, my fellow brothers and sisters and I went with our parents to Midnight Mass. And after a glorious time of singing the wonderful hymns of praise to God, we <laughs> We went to the 7 p.m. service of worship where we say, sang- I dare not say that tonight. (laughs) My job is in enough trouble already. Oh, well, goodness. Is that you, Lord? Speak. I can hear you now. You know what? I love the holidays. I love everything about the holidays. I love all the hustle and bustle. I like to go to the mall and just drink a cup of coffee and watch all of the people be frantic and, and, and scream and run around and look desperate. I just enjoy everything. I love the decorations. I love the songs. I, I love all the stuff. I like that. Do any of you like that? Maybe do any of you remember that when we were kids, we, my mother used to buy a package of these little silver things that I wanted to take them by the handful and just throw them on the tree, but she made us place them on there one at a time. I even like that stuff. I love gaudy, I love ostentatious, I love all the bright and the cheerful and the loud, and I just love everything there is about celebrating Christmas. But I do acknowledge together with you this evening that there really is a problem with Christmas. Take your Bibles with me if you would like and turn with me to Luke chapter one Luke chapter one Luke chapter one includes the story of Zechariah Zechariah was a priest of God in fact he and Elizabeth the Bible tells us were both of descendants of Aaron of the house priestly household so they were a good priestly family and and Zechariah had been serving God as a priest his entire adult life but unfortunately Zechariah and Elizabeth, even though they were very, very mature, the Bible says, had no children in their house. Once, when Zechariah's priestly division, it it was their turn to serve in the temple, he had that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. His name was drawn by Lot, and he had that opportunity to go into the holy place and to light the incense before the presence of God. What an incredible privilege and what a beautiful ceremony. Everything about it was prescribed. A tremendous, powerful worship ritual. Everything, it happened exactly, perfectly timed to occur exactly at day. Everything about it was perfect. And and they had all these prayers that they prayed and psalms that they chanted. It was a beautiful thing. And and everything about it should have happened exactly like clockwork, except that while Zechariah was there in the presence of God lighting the incense, Gabriel, the angel of God, decided that he was going to interrupt their church service. Zechariah was terrified. But the angel said to him the same thing that he says to everybody that he appears to in Luke. What did he say? Well, I got King James and NIV and a lot of mumbling. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered, you're going to have a son. Name him John. He is going to be filled with the Spirit of God from his mother's womb, and he will be the one who will go before the Messiah. He will go before him in the Spirit and the power of God, and he is going to be God's spiritual wake-up call to his people. Wow! And there, standing before the incense altar with the candle there and the showbread there, standing in the presence of the angel of God, with nothing separating him from the Holy of Holies except that curtain, from the presence of Almighty God. Zechariah looked at the angel of God and he said, You all right. You really expect me to believe that, don't you? How in the world do you expect me? My wife is an old woman and she never had any children anyway, well past the ability to have any kids at all. I'm a dried up old stick of a man. How in the world do you expect for me to believe that? And the angel looked back at him and he said, My name is Gabriel. I stand in the presence of Almighty God. Zechariah, I'm going to do you a tremendous favor. You're not going to be able to speak until that baby is born. Meanwhile, outside, all of these priests were gathered around and other temple servants were gathered around with them and some other people who were there wanting to be able to celebrate the good things happening before God and they were freaking out because they couldn't figure out why Zechariah was taking so long in the temple. Why hadn't he come out yet? They didn't understand and then when he finally does come out he can't speak and he's making all these motions and he's trying to communicate something to him and they they figure out he's had some kind of a vision. We know something's going on. Something's happened. They couldn't figure it out but Zechariah and Elizabeth went back to their home in the hill country in Judea and when they went out to the hill country in Judea, lo and behold in the fullness of time, guess what happened? Elizabeth got pregnant. Unbelievable. Here she is pregnant and still Zechariah can't speak. But you know and I know just because Zechariah couldn't speak doesn't mean every tongue in the hill country of Judea wasn't wagging about the goings on around there. Something was going on. I mean, they knew that something was going on there. And they made certain that everybody around heard that something was going on they were talking about it and then what happens mary comes for a visit then john is born and after john is born a time for another wonderful ritual prescribed ritual come for the circumcision and the naming of the child it's a beautiful ceremony they still practice it today everything's going well until the mother says no his name is john and the priest in charge says let's ask dad and he writes out his name is john and then suddenly his tongue is loosed and after nine months of silence After nine months of being unable to speak, look in verse 67 with me, if you would please, at what Zechariah says. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come and He has redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for the... For us in the house of his servant David, just as he said he would through his holy prophets long ago. Nine months of silence, nine months of thinking about it, and all he could talk about was Jesus. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Anybody got a favorite? 34th Street, Miracle on 34th Street, the old one or the new one? The old one, black and white. I like that one too. Not the colorized, the black and white. I like the new one too. Just bought it. What's your favorite? The Christmas story. The Christmas story. Eh. Oh, what's your favorite? Life. It's a wonderful life. I love that. Great story, great message. Jimmy Stewart got to love it. White Christmas. Got to love Bing Crosby, don't you? Man, if I had a voice like that, I'd be on TV. What? What's your favorite Christmas movie? with George C. Scott. He does a great job with that, doesn't he? Wow, I love that. You know, my kids would probably say that White Christmas is my favorite Christmas movie. I love them all. You know, I'll listen to my, I like Rudolph and Frosty and I'll listen to all that other stuff that my kids have in the back of the car while we're traveling to Grandma's house. But you know my real favorite Christmas movie? Hands down, Charlie Brown. (laughs) I mean, Charlie Brown. Poor old Charlie Brown. You know, the man has always got a significant problem going on in his life. He never seems to get them resolved. Now, Charles Schultz is laughing all the way to the bank, but Charlie Brown, poor guy, you feel sorry for him. And here he is, one more season, and he realizes deep in his heart, something's wrong with Christmas. There really is a problem, and Charlie Brown realizes it. There's a problem with Christmas. He doesn't know what the problem is, so he goes to seek wise counsel. He goes to Lucy and her psychiatric booth. Don't you love it? He goes to see Lucy and Lucy says, Charlie Brown, the problem's not with Christmas. The problem is inside of you. All you need is involvement. Come direct our Christmas play. He says, oh good, I've got my answer. Thank you, Lucy. Goes off to direct the Christmas play and discovers those people don't care anything about Christmas. All they wanna do is have a party. So he gets more and more frustrated. Finally, he says, is there anyone who can tell me the real meaning of Christmas? And my favorite philosopher of all time, Linus, not the Roman, but Linus from Charlie Brown says, Sure Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he tells him the story of Jesus. The problem with Christmas isn't commercialization. I love commercialization. I'm an American, for pity's sake. I believe in commercialization. The problem with Christmas is not Walmart. The problem with Christmas is not Wall Street. The problem with Christmas is not whether or not you have Christmas trees in your home, or how you decorate them, or what other kinds of pagan symbols we incorporate into Christianity in order to help us to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. That is not the problem with Christmas. The problem with Christmas is when we forget what Christmas is all about the problem with Christmas is when we forget that Christmas the center of Christmas is that little baby in the manger. The real problems that begin to happen in our lives are problems that occur when we forget that God is at the center of the universe. The real problems that plague us in our lives are the problems that occur when we forget that it is Jesus who wants to be, who must be at the very center of each one of our lives. The only way that Christmas really makes sense is when Christmas is centered on Jesus. The only way that life makes sense is when I am absolutely consumed, when I am absolutely obsessed with Jesus Christ. I have come to believe something. I've come to believe something, and I want to say it very strongly to you today because I believe it so very, very passionately and so very, very strongly. I have come to believe after almost 20 years as Pastor Allen and being a Christian a little bit longer than that, I have come to believe that the only way any one of us, or anyone else for that matter, the only way any one of us is going to make heaven, the only way any one of us is going to make heaven is if we are absolutely obsessed with Jesus Christ. Absolutely, completely obsessed what are you obsessed with this evening? What is it that's pulling at your thoughts right now and distracting you and pulling you away? What is it that, that tugs at your heart? What is it that is, that is trying inside of you to, to compete for first place with Jesus in your heart? If we are not absolutely obsessed with Jesus Christ, we're not going to make heaven. God says, I am a very jealous God. Now my kids hate that. Now I'm not real fond of that statement myself, but it's in the Bible, so I have to kind of wrestle with that one. God says, I am a very jealous God. I will not be in competition with anything else for first place in your life. I won't play second fiddle in your life. God will play a lot of instruments, but second fiddle is not one of them. God will not take second place to anything, anytime, anywhere, and particularly in the life of a human being. He will be number one or He will be nothing at all in our lives. He has said to us, you know why? I really believe the reason why God has said to us, I'm jealous, I won't do that. God knows that if we're not absolutely, completely centered on Him, that He is going to get lost in the tug of war with all the other things that try to compete with Him. I'm convinced we must be absolutely obsessed with Jesus Christ because the pull of sin is so strong. We must be absolutely obsessed with Jesus because the pull of sin, in verse 17, the angel, in in prophesying about John's place before Jesus and Jesus, he says, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in order to set people free from that bondage to sin. You know, the pull of sin is like gravity. Gravity is there and and you better acknowledge it because you can't do anything about it. It is there and, and, humanly speaking, we do not have the power or the ability to resist gravity. Sin is like that. It takes rocket power to be able for us to overcome the pull of gravity. And in the same way, it takes spirit power for us to be able to deal with the pull of sin in our lives. You know, it grieves me to even think about it, but there are people that you and I know who last year at this time were saying, I will never, ever, ever turn back. I will follow the narrow way. I'm all the way with Jesus. I would never go back to my former life. There are people we care deeply about. And yet today, they've gone back to their sin. The Bible says, like a dog returns to its vomit, so you turn back to your sin. We have a beagle. Now, I love my dog. My wife hates my dog. I love my... By the way, Jan's supposed to be preaching here tonight. For all of those of you who are extremely disappointed, my apologies. Try her again next week. But I love my dog. I love my... I love my wife too, but I love my dog. Just to clarify, I love my dog. But there are some things about my dog that are a little easier to love than others. One of the things about my dog that is difficult to love is that my dog likes to eat her own feces. Now we got this dog when she was just a little tiny puppy um, and she had acquired the habit, the taste if I may, before we acquired her. We have tried everything to break this dog of this habit. I mean, we have tried everything that anybody would recommend. I've gone on the internet. I've checked every website I can find. I have talked to breeders overseas. We have gotten all the medications from the veterinarians. We've tried everything. We fed this dog exclusively by the light of the full moon. It didn't help. Still, still, this dog keeps going back. It's gross. It's disgusting. It's foul. I apologize for even mentioning it. The Bible says sin is like that. We live in a society where sin has been so sanitized. Sin has been so beautified that we forget that sin is foul and gross and it's disgusting and and, and it's awful, and it shouldn't even be mentioned in polite company. And the Bible says that yet despite the fact that we know that it's foul and awful and gross and disgusting, it pulls us back like gravity. The only way, the only way to stop going back to your sin is to be so obsessed with Jesus Christ To be so fixed on Jesus Christ that the pull of sin is not able to overcome the only way that we can conquer sin and keep it conquered is to be absolutely obsessed with Jesus Christ we have to be obsessed with Jesus because the pull of sin is so strong and we have to be obsessed with Jesus because because God is terrifying Zechariah Back to the story. Zechariah. I I admire this man and I'm afraid I relate to him just a bit. Zechariah was a man of God. He was mature, I hope a little more mature than I, uh, significantly more mature than I, but someday it's coming. But he had been serving God his entire life. He had been doing right things. He knew the truth. He'd been a priest for at least 30 years. But when he actually when he actually encountered the living presence of God in the presence of this angel of God, he was terrified. He was terrified. The most stressful thing in the lives, I believe, the most stressful thing in the lives of many Christians is their fear of God. I know a lot of Christians who are terrified to really get close to God. They're afraid to be obsessed with Jesus because they're afraid of what God is going to ask of them or want from them. I mean, God is great just as long as He stays at a comfortable distance. God is wonderful as long as He doesn't mess with my life, right? But God has this way of being rudely intrusive in our lives. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, they were facing retirement they were looking forward to buying a home in Florida and enjoying their leisure years and God shows up on the scene and he says Zechariah I've got a blessing for you I've got a wonderful blessing you're gonna have a baby isn't that good news that's such good news Zechariah and he said oh boy he was overwhelmed what a sacrifice they were called to make it was terrifying for them. A baby? They were terrified. God has this way. God has this way of calling people into full time ministry who already have lives and homes and plans and families and everything worked out for them. And God says, I have good news. Your prayer has been answered. I have a purpose. And I have a plan for your life that goes beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine. But it's overwhelming. It's sacrificial. It's really quite terrifying, isn't it? You see, God's blessings almost always involve challenge and sacrifice. And that's what we're afraid of. I mean, when God called me into the ministry, he ruined my life. When he told me that I had to leave where I was comfortable with living and I had to move up north and minister to a bunch of Yankees, he wrecked my life. Then when he told me, but he helped me in Monroe. Then when he told me that I had to leave the ministry and come to Nazarene Bible College, he wrecked my life. God has this way. We get comfortable. We get our plans and our lives and everything all worked out and we just get comfortable. And here comes God and says, guess what? I have an incredible blessing for you. And we're terrified to get close to God. We're afraid to get close to God. And the only way to overcome that fear of being with God or following God is to be so obsessed to be so consumed to be so full of Jesus Christ that fear has no place we have to be obsessed with Jesus because the pull of sin is so strong because following God is just it's terrifying and we have to be obsessed with Jesus well because it's easier to doubt than it is to have faith Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he had to be at least 60 years old. He'd been following God all those years. Zechariah had been a priest in the temple of God on many occasions and serving as a priest in Israel all those years. Zechariah knew the Bible inside and out. Zechariah had been a teacher of the people of God all this time. I mean, he could come and he could teach at Nazarene Bible College. He was a person who knew his stuff. He could. He knew it. But when the time of testing came, for Zechariah, when the time of testing came, he doubted. It was easier for him to doubt than it was for him to believe. You know why? I think it's always easier to doubt than it is to believe. Don't you? It's always easier to doubt than it is to believe. And the further away from Jesus that I am, the easier it is for me to doubt. But when I am obsessed with Jesus, when I am consumed with Jesus, when my focus, my vision is exclusively filled up with Jesus, then when the test comes, then I'll have the strength to be able to pass it. And the test will come. The Bible says that the enemy's going to tempt us and God is going to test us. The test will come. And many of us here, maybe most of us here, are facing some of the greatest tests that we will ever face or have ever faced in our spiritual lives at Nazarene Bible College because that is part of what God does for us as He prepares us for the work that He has for us to do in service him God tested Zechariah by asking him to believe that he was going to do something that was physically impossible to do he was going to bless him with a child when it was impossible for them to have a baby and Zechariah wasn't ready to receive God's blessing was he so what did God do he made him silent he gave him a gift and for nine months Zechariah couldn't serve as a priest couldn't speak He couldn't do much except just be in the presence of a growing miracle from God as he watched God's promise unfold in the womb of his wife, Elizabeth. Zechariah, month after month, watched what God was doing until finally, after nine months of living in the presence of a miracle from God, finally, when God opened his mouth, all he could do was point to Jesus. Look at it again in verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, praise be. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, just as He promised He would through the holy prophets long ago. Thirteen verses here in this Song of Zechariah. 13 verses and 9 of them are dedicated to Jesus. Only 4 of them are dedicated to His Son, John the Baptist. And the story there is about what John was going to do in preparing for Jesus. John, His Son, and yet 9 verses for Jesus. Only 4 for His own Son. Why? Because He was obsessed with Jesus. Zechariah had become consumed with Jesus. His heart was filled with the promise of God in Jesus Christ. It was what he had to have. It was what God needed to do in him. We need the same thing that Zechariah needed. We've got to be obsessed with Jesus. Folks, if we're going to make heaven, we've got to be obsessed with Jesus because the pull of sin is so strong. Because God is terrifying. Because doubt is so much easier than faith. And as we prepare ourselves for Christmas, the problem with Christmas isn't out there. The problem with Christmas is when we forget what Zechariah forgot. We've got to be obsessed with Jesus. I don't know about you but I know about an awful lot of Christians and I watch and I've observed that it gets so easy sometimes to just get tired of being obsessed with Jesus I've been on fire for him and I've been focused on him but to quote one mother who spoke to me many years ago Alan there's more to life than church and Jesus You've got to be obsessed with Jesus. We need it. I need it. You need it. I just wonder. It's just us. I just wonder. How obsessed are you with Jesus in these days? Do you need to talk to Jesus? Just get that focus clarified. Now, I know everybody here is a believer and I know that we love the Lord and I know we're following Him and we're doing what we can do, but I know how easy it is. I know how hard it is to stay obsessed with Jesus. I just wonder. No, I more than wonder. I invite you, why don't you stand with me? Would you, this evening, say with me, I want to be obsessed with Jesus. I need to be. Would you like to say it to Him? I just think it might be a good time for us together to remind God of our deep, desperate desire for him and only him. I want us to do that together here this evening. And I think we'll just do it where we are. But I just want to remind you also where you are. Tonight maybe maybe that pull of sin maybe that pull of sin has been overly strong. And the gravity of it has pulled you away and you're wondering what to do, I have good news. Christmas is all about Jesus. Talk to Him about it here this evening. Are you struggling? Are your circumstances getting to you? Is doubt easier than faith right now? Are you afraid of what God has next? Talk to Him. Tell Him about it. More than anything, commit yourself again to see, to know, to make your absolute obsession Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now I'm going to kneel here and I would love for you to join me here if you would like, but you don't have to. I want us to pray together. Would you do that with me? And just tell him, tell him how much you want Jesus. Let's pray together. And I surely relate to Zechariah. God, I don't want to be serving at your table and miss Jesus. Oh Lord, my God. Give us Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank You that in this season that we celebrate, You came for us. You invite us to embrace You. You call us to this holy obsession. You, O Lord, are the great lover who reaches out to us, embrace us, fill us, consume us, Oh, God, we want Jesus tonight. God, I pray your blessing on each of these here in this room. Lord, I thank you for them, for their desire to follow you. I pray, holy God, strong to save and mighty to deliver, that you would meet each of their needs. Father, where there is need for forgiveness, let it be given. Where there's been doubt, let there be faith. Where there's been fear, let there be trust. Fill us, God, with Jesus. This night, this night, we claim Jesus only. (laughs) You are our first love, our consuming passion, our obsession. Thank you. Thank you. Chaplain. the kind of audacious allegiance that I suggest you claim from us here tonight. I do not. The Church of the Nazarene does not. The church does not. Only you. And we bow before you with joy and with thanksgiving and with praise because we love you. We ask you now to go with us, to fill us, to empower us, to fill this Christmas season with Jesus. In your mighty matchless name, we pray together. And all God's children said, Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.